inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to the Core here at on American Family Radio. I'm Walker Wildman. Glad to be with you today on the program. This is AFA at the Core. I'm Walker Wildman. Hey, our website is AFR.net. AFR.net. You can listen to past episodes of the Core there at our website. And you can also listen live. We have about each month, we average about 700,000 uh, listeners or users utilizing the live option on our website and on our app. So be one of those, and let's uh, let's increase that number of people live streaming the audio of the core there on uh, the app and on the website. Uh, speaking of the app, if you want to uh, have AFR and our content readily available at your fingertips, you can download the American Family Radio app. On your app store, wherever you wherever you download apps on your Apple or Android device, you can download the American Family Radio app. It takes you just a couple minutes. And then you can fetch the core content and the core episodes at your leisure, at your convenience there on the American Family Radio app. And the last thing I'll mention when it comes to listening to the audio is you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you listen to the core or wherever you listen to podcasts, you can click the subscribe button. Uh, there on your podcast store, and then the latest episode will be automatically uploaded uh, there to your uh, to your local device for your for your uh, listening for your enjoyment. There on the uh, uh, podcast store, wherever you listen to podcasts. So go ahead and subscribe to the Core Podcast, and we'll publish new episodes each weekday here on American Family Radio. Lastly, we are video streaming. We are live streaming the video on our Facebook page on the Core. Facebook show page. You can just type in AFA at the core or my name on Facebook and you'll find AFA at the core show page. You can watch the live video there on YouTube. I'm sorry, there on Facebook. We were uh, deplatformed from YouTube. So no more YouTube for the core. Jumping into our scripture for the week, we're in Psalm chapter 25. David continually draws our attention to the holiness, to the goodness, to the infallibility, to the eternal nature, to the omnipresent nature of our Lord, of our Savior, of our Redeemer. So that's what David continues to bring to our attention as we study the book of Psalm. Psalm chapter uh, 25, verse 4 and 5, or verse 4 through 6, rather, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been uh, from of old. For they have been from of old. Uh, talking about the Lord's steadfast love and his mercy. And so uh, what, what I want us to take from, from this study this week in Psalm chapter 25 is that uh, there are two uh, means in which, or two ways in which God teaches us 
his ways, his paths, as David describes it. And um, we, 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 we learn God's ways, God's paths through his word, through his holy, inspired, inerrant word. And then we also learn about God's ways, about God's paths, about his truth, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because as we, as you know, we should remember this. We need to remember where we came from to know where we are. When we were once lost, we were once wandering astray, we were once unbelievers. Uh, you could have read God's Word and not fully understood it, not grasped it, not had a, a meaningful uh, uh, interaction with God's Word as an unbeliever. Why? Because you lack the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we, when we believe, when we have faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life, for eternal salvation, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is given to us, and we, God enables us to understand his ways, to grasp his ways uh, so that we can live more obedient lives to him. Uh, so a true obedience, true sanctification is not possible without the power of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to know God's ways and to know God's paths. Uh, moving to some of the stories I want to get to today, the um, the I came across a story on Breitbart just a few minutes ago before we came on the show. Uh, by the way, we're going to have on Tom Askell. He's a pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. He's been there since 1986. We're going to have on Mr. Askell, who's a longtime Southern Baptist, to talk about uh, this report coming out of uh, this group called Guidepost that was hired by the Southern Baptist Convention, by the Executive Committee, to run an investigation on sexual abuse allegations in recent decades. Uh, so we're going to have on Tom Askell to talk about that, to talk about his perspective on that. We're also going to talk about uh, some uh, pro-life news out of Louisiana and um and where we are on that front. So stay tuned next segment. And then the last segment, we'll have on our very own Chris Woodward from our news department to talk about the energy problem in America. Well, uh, uh, jumping into what I wanted to talk about this segment, and that is the story out of Breitbart about Dianne Feinstein, the senator from California, recommending and wanting to push a law which would place the minimum age of 21 to buy, quote, high-capacity magazines. High-capacity magazines. So this is a story out of Breitbart. Senator Dianne Feinstein is pushing for a minimum of age of 21 for the purchase of, quote-unquote, assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. Her office uh, noted that the act is a response to the May 14, 2022 Buffalo attack, a shooting in which the shooter was an 18-year-old who was legally allowed to purchase an assault rifle, even though it remains illegal for anyone under 21 to buy a handgun. So what I wanted to point out here is uh, the first, first truth that needs to be stated is that more government regulation, more government intervention is not always the answer. That should go without saying Furthermore, rarely is it ever 
the appropriate response and the effective response for more government intervention in private life. When was the last time the government passed more regulations and everybody applauded the government because it was successful in reaching the overarching goal of protecting innocent human life? It rarely happens, if at all, nowadays. And the other thing I wanted to point out, which is a much more compelling case, is that this is the same crowd, this is the same party, this is the same group of folks, if you want to use Southern terminology, that want our young children that are still under adult parental supervision to be able to pick their gender, even though God assigns our sex from conception, this is the same group that wants our little kids to be able to have sex change, sex reassigned it, gender mutilation surgeries at the age of 13. They want our, our young kids to be able to take these cross-hormone treatments that are terrible for your body. They want boys to be able to go over to the girls' bathroom and sexually assault girls in the name of transgenderism. This is the same group that wants 17-year-old high schoolers to be able to run on the, uh, on the, on the track team of the opposite sex. Yeah, they want young men to be able to raise their hand and go, yeah, I'm feeling like a girl today and go run on the girls' track team and then beat all the, all the true girls and steal their scholarships and their trophies. And this is the same group that doesn't want parents involved at all in the lives of our children, of our teenagers, of our young adults. They think parents just need to get out of the way. Let's let the teachers and the college professors Let's let them do all the indoctrinating, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just find it interesting how in one area of extreme wickedness, this same crowd, Dianne Feinstein, the Democrats, the pagans, they want young people to be able to make their own, quote-unquote, their own decisions, even their own unwise, unhealthy, immoral decisions. Free from parental involvement, free from interference. But you go over here to talk about something like the Second Amendment, talk about firearms, simply owning a magazine for a firearm. You got to be over 21. Oh, then they'll say, well, you got to be over 25. Well, you got to be approved by the government. And so you see the back and forth here, the, the inconsistency as far as what do we entrust Young adults, what kind of decisions do we trust young adults with? Now, remember, we're sending, we're sending 18, 19-year-olds overseas to fight foreign wars and die for this country. But we can't trust them to own a magazine or own a firearm? It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Instead, how about we focus our attention on teaching our young people the difference between right and wrong. How about we teach 
our children that all life and all individuals are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, and really as a nation, and, and I'm talking to the adults in the room here, I think we should stop killing our babies. That would be the ultimate moral example, the ultimate virtue signal to this country, to this culture, and to our young people is that we stop murdering the most innocent among us. Let's stop killing the babies in the womb. Let's take care and protect and foster the most vulnerable among us, our babies, and let that reverberate throughout society to where our young people understand that life, human life is valuable, it's worth protecting. There is just so much potential, so much headway to be made in promoting a culture of life, a, a culture of godliness, a, co- a culture of biblical morality, that the last thing we need is politicians in Washington, D.C. who don't believe in God, who don't believe in objective morality, to be telling us that more government is going to fix the heart problem, that more government and more bills going through Congress and signed by the president is going to fix the sin problem. And in some scenarios, uh, the, uh, the government, by the way, government was created by God, and government was created not only by God, but for the purpose of upholding and promoting that which is true, that which is godly, that which is biblically virtuous. And so the, so, so the government needs to stop wanting to overregulate and micromanage and pass meaningless laws that are going to have no real-life effect on the society. And they should instead realign their attention and their focus on what God set them up to do, and that is to protect human life through policy and laws and that starts first and foremost with protecting babies in the womb so senator feinstein needs to realign her attention and let's focus on saving babies and let's stop focusing on micromanaging and micro-regulating the sale of firearm accessories afa at the core i'm walker wildman be back in a few Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Many who oppose Christianity target their hostility on our foundation, the Bible. They say it's unreliable because Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are contradictory accounts of the creation story. In actuality, the two chapters are complementary and not contradictory. When Jesus was asked about marriage, he quoted from both chapters 1 and 2 in saying that he made them both to be male and female in the beginning. And for this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. Genesis 1 is an overview of the creation story. Genesis 2 is an up-close examination of day 6. If Jesus relies on them both, so can we. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. In an age of filtered photos, social media catfishing, and typical teenage girl drama, you might find your daughter struggles to trust others. Worse yet, you may find that these trust issues spill over into her relationship with God. We know that trust is established by consistency over time. So how can you, as her parent, foster a healthy sense of trust in the goodness of others? Show up, fulfill your promises, and give credit where it is due. Then go one step further and point out those times that God does the same. Remind her that what she prayed for a year ago might be exactly where she is today. Seek out scripture like Romans 8.39 to affirm that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He is constant, reliable, and trustworthy. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. You can learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Introducing AFA Streaming, a new online platform that hosts all AFA-produced video content, including documentaries, church curriculum, American Family Radio shows, and our Cultural Institute series. The Constitution only works in the atmosphere of Christianity. Critical race theory and intersectionality are new religious frameworks. The Christian must say, as Paul said to the Galatians, there is no new gospel. AFA Streaming is a vital step that we are taking to fulfill our vision to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. You'll find top-notch resources that address the issues of our day related to marriage, family, the sanctity of life, and many others. Start streaming today, streaming.afa.net. AFA at the Core podcast are available at afr.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to The Core here on American Family Radio Network. So glad to have you with us today on the program. Well, we try to bring on guests that are going to provide commentary and views that align with God's Word and that promote the body of Christ and, uh, and the future of this country and, uh, and, and the mission and vision here of American Family Association. So we have on with us now Tom Askell. Tom is a, past, a pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Corral, Florida, He's been there since 1986 uh, and a member of the Southern Baptist Convention. Tom, thanks for coming on the core. Well, Walker, thank you for having me on. I'm glad to be with you. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'm, a, I'm a fellow Southern Baptist and uh, attend a congregation here in our, in our town. And so uh, I wouldn't say I'm uh, uh, deeply studied on all things Southern Baptist, but I do try to keep up with what's going on. And... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I I read the story and I read a little bit of the report earlier today that was this report was uh, authorized by the Southern Baptist Convention last year by the messengers. They basically voted to uh, for for a report to be done by a third party as it relates to uh, sexual assault allegations against uh, Southern Baptist pastors or leaders, if you will. And this this has to do with churches all around the country and members of the executive committee. Uh, so, to, to give us give us your general uh, initial response to this, and and have I summarized it correctly? Yes, I, I think you have. And 
Uh, I read the report. I finally finished it last night late. And, um, yeah, of course, anytime you read about stories of people who've been abused and then not believed or not received help, it just breaks your heart. And there's no way around that. And it's grievous. If it was just one person, it would be grievous. And this report has uh, indicated that there were uh, more than one, dozens of people that they documented where this type of sexual abuse took place within Southern Baptist context, primarily local churches, but also at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, the, the main report was to investigate the executive committee, which is kind of a, a committee that works for the convention in between our annual meeting. So that's a pretty important committee. So some of the things I knew about, there were a few things I did not know about, but all of those stories are heartbreaking, grievous, ought to cause us to cry out to God on behalf of everyone who's been affected. And um, we, we've got work to do. Uh, we need transparency. We need integrity in our leadership. It's something I've been talking about for years and years without knowing any of the details about this report that's now been made known. But it's just the way of Christ to live with integrity and transparency. And I, I feel like that across the board in the Southern Baptist Convention, we have had a reckoning and we need to come clean with God and with one another and chart a better course forward that will call all of us to live in the fear of God. Uh, it's quite obvious to me, Walker, that we've lost the fear of God hmm. uh, all across our convention. And I'm talking about our local churches. I'm a pastor of one all the way down to our entities and agencies and uh, these these organizations that the churches have built, that we own, that we finance, uh, we need to come clean and just confess our sin and plead with God to revive us. Tom, let me ask you this. Um, the, the report and the details within it, um, the allegations are, are obviously very uh, egregious, but the, the the report continually well let let me first ask this and then we'll we'll get into some of the details but the Southern Baptist Convention uh, all of the, the the churches are voluntarily members of the convention all the churches right. are are locally autonomous meaning they govern themselves they have their own uh, elder or deacon bodies they have their own pastor staff pastoral staff etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so, the, so the convention has no legal or binding authority over local churches, which is different than such uh, the Methodist uh, uh, setup, if you will, and some of the other uh, mm -hmm. the Catholic Church, et cetera, et cetera. There's more there's more legal and binding agreements on property, on structure, et cetera. So, so, so my question to you is this: Did did the executive committee have a were they set up to be an investigative and a prosecutorial body? No, not at all. And it's part of the difficulty. I've tried to explain this to people here locally that have asked me today, that uh, the kind of, of description that we have time again is somebody would call the executive committee offices, this is in the report, and say, hey, you know, we know about this man who's serving in this church and he abused this person or uh, has uh, groomed this person. And well, the executive committee does not have the mechanism. They don't have the authority or they don't have the mechanism to investigate that or to deal with that. And, and I don't think that their counsel, based on the report, was always right and good. Uh, they could have done more in many, time, many situations, but oftentimes they were asked to do what they had no ability to do. And so it's a complex issue. And most of the people commenting on this 
don't understand our biblical commitments about how churches are organized and are to be governed under the lordship of Christ. Because your point is a very important point. We, the Southern Baptist Convention is a voluntary organization. Churches voluntarily cooperate. We're not a top-down structure. We're told all the time, and it really is true, that headquarters for the Southern Baptist Convention is the local church. And so churches have to deal with these things. And I think what we're seeing is a commentary, a tragic, tragic commentary on how our churches have just kind of slid over the years away from doing what Christ has called us to do, living the way he's called us to live, being well-ordered under his lordship, according to his word. Mm. I mean, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scriptures inspired by God is profitable for correction, rebuke, rebuke, instruction, training, and righteousness, so that the man of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Mm. He's talking about the leadership of the church. We have the Bible. We have a book. And and yet we have neglected it, because that book tells us how we are to receive members, who's to be a part, who's to be inside of a church as a member, and then how we, when we have to, are to remove members who re, who sin and refuse to repent. Yeah. And yet so many of these situations describe men who sinned and were never corrected, never called to account. Mm. And that's a local church problem. So we, that's why I say we need God to come down and revive us, yeah. to humble us greatly over this. Absolutely. And, and all churches, and this doesn't just apply to the Southern Baptist Convention, this applies to any member of the body of Christ, any local congregation. Uh, to your point, it is the responsibility of the local church authority, the local church structure that has been set up by the body of Christ at a very local and a local and controlled level to exercise church discipline as outlined in scripture. Right. Um, and so, That's so right. to think that we need to uh, hammer and bash the SBAC, which is hundreds of miles away, thousands in some scenarios to these incidents, these terrible incidents at the local level to think that all of a sudden we need to not place blame and, uh, and responsibility at, at, this, at the three to four layers of accountability that are between the local congregation and the SBC Executive Committee. I mean, there's so many right. layers that, that, were, that were apparently missed or not properly exercised that that's where the focus needs to be. And to your point, this, this applies to the entire body of Christ. We should all be grieved, mm. and we should exercise right. church discipline in a proper manner. And, and lastly, I'll mention, Tom, we should do this, to your point, with the goal of of restoration with the goal of genuine repentance and then restoration, because that is the gospel. I mean, without Amen. restoration, there is no gospel. And so so this this very secular cancel culture, Me Too movement of, hey, let's out people's sin and then let's deplatform them and cancel them from life, from society, mm-hmm. that's not a biblical approach, all right? Sin should be no. called sin. And then, but but there should be genuine repentance by the people who have committed sin, and then restoration should be sought. Amen. That's exactly right. And one of the other sides of, of that issue you just described is we need to be willing to call sin what the Bible calls sin, and to recognize that there is no category of person, no group, no category of people that gets a pass from dealing with sin as sin. So everyone is a sinner. Everyone needs a Savior, and wherever sin is committed, 
We need to hold forth the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came into the world to die for sinners. He redeemed sinners. But if you are not convinced you've sinned or you don't believe you've sinned because somebody puts you in a special class that is untouchable to, be descri- to describe your conduct as sin, then you don't need a Savior. You're actually hurting the very people that you try to help when you tell them it's not, you have no sin involved in this. You mm-hmm. have no sin involved in this. And we've got to be real careful with that because we don't want to heap guilt on people who have not sinned. And then so many of these abuse victims, uh, the, the way they've been treated, they were not uh, personally responsible at all. But there are other dimensions of relationships that are sinful that get lumped into the uh, sex abuse uh, narrative. And we need to make sure we're distinguishing between what is true sexual abuse and what is not sexual abuse and where a person is guilty, whatever level, whatever degree, Mm. offer the hope that is in Jesus for sinners, that we can be redeemed, forgiven, and restored to God. Amen. And and, and the last thing I'll, I'll mention on this, and then we'll move on, is uh, the I just want to encourage anyone, uh, any member of the body of Christ that is aware, that is aware of explicitly, not only immoral from a biblical perspective, but but also illegal from a civic, from mm. a civil and a criminal perspective, any member or someone who has who has become victim to clear illegal conduct uh, should report that to local authorities, and they should be encouraged and, and, and shepherded to report illegal activity at any level. I'm, ta- I'm not talking about just about sexual assault. I'm talking about stealing mm-hmm. church money. Uh, all of these mm-hmm. different, uh, not only sins, but also illegal activity from a, from a government standpoint, that should be reported uh, so that it can be mm-hmm. corroborated and investigated and so that we can use government for the purpose uh, that God has set it up for. Uh, lastly, uh, Tom, there's this uh, bill in, in Louisiana, uh, this pro-life bill in Louisiana uh, that's been, uh, that you've been behind and others uh, to try to just protect innocent life and protect babies in Louisiana, especially on the hills or on the uh, leading up to a potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's been going on in Louisiana. Yeah, well, Louisiana is the, would have been the first state in the union to bring out of committee a bill that recognizes the personhood of pre-born human beings, granting them personhood, which then means under the Fourth Amendment that they are given the right of life and liberty. And it also prescribed equal protection under the law. So that just like the homicide laws of our land protect you and me, if someone kills us, well, then there can be um, a proper um, jurisprudence applied and it can be adjudicated as a, a potential crime. That would have applied to unborn babies. And I was delighted with it to see it come out of committee seven to two and was going to be debated there on the floor of uh, the Congress of, of Louisiana. But I was astounded that over 75 pro-life organizations signed an open letter arguing against the very tenets that that bill was proposing. And they said, we want to speak to state legislatures. And so, you know, as Southern Baptist, you and I, we have the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission Mm -hmm. that is kind of our ethical arm in the convention. And the acting president of that organization, uh, a man by the name of Brent Leatherwood, signed that open letter. I'm appalled by that. Now, he doesn't represent me. And yet all these pro-life organizations said, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We, this bill goes too far. And I think what's happened is a lot of people like me who've been pro-life as long as I can remember 
thought these organizations really were representing us. They really do want to see abortion end. And I believe probably many, if not most of them do. But when they had an opportunity to score mm-hmm. a touchdown, they just said, no, we'll call timeout. We'd rather just get it, see if we can't get another three yards here. Yeah, and, 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 and this uh, and Tom, yeah, you're right, Tom. And this goes directly against a resolution that was passed last year, which is a resolution simply restating what Scripture already says. And the resolution says that the murder of preborn children is a crime against humanity that must be punished mm-hmm. equally under the law. That's the SBC resolution. And the ERLC, which is supposed to abide by the Southern Baptist Convention and their precepts, completely ignored that by signing this letter. I know. And they did it with a high hand, and they joked about it in the aftermath, which is grievous to me. I mean, it just shows how rogue that entity has become, and it shows how desperately we need to change the direction in the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, that's why this upcoming uh, convention out in Anaheim, our annual business meeting, is so important. And uh, you may know that I've been will be nominated as president uh, mm. during that convention. And if God sees fit to put me in that position, one of the things I want to do is to call for this kind of change that will be born of humility before God, a reaffirmation to the authority, sufficiency of his word, and the lordship of Christ, and a real fear of God, so that we won't keep making these kinds of blunders going forward. Amen, Tom. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the core, and we'll have you on again soon. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. All right, there you have it. That's Tom Askell. He's pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Corral, Florida. He's been there since 1986, and uh, he's a longtime Southern Baptist uh, member. And so he was weighing in there on just a couple items, news items relating uh, to the Southern Baptist Convention. Well, uh, one thing uh, we're going to talk about next segment with our news anchor, Chris Woodward, is the pending energy crisis in this country, and that's no exaggeration. Uh, We are heading into uncharted territory. Uh, People try to compare this to the 1970s, to the Jimmy Carter days. Folks, what we're heading into has got nothing on Jimmy Carter. It's got nothing on the uh, situation back in the 70s with Iran and the pause from OPEC on exporting oil to America. Uh, We are rapidly heading towards a point where the reliable and sustainable energy solutions and sources such as coal and natural gas and oil will not be available for many people and many many industries in this country. So we'll talk more about that after the break and how that will affect all of America, not just blue states or red states, all of America will be affected if this energy crisis is not diverted in short order. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. Secular progressives want to teach our young children to know how to do things that only married adults should do, and some of it even married adults would find offensive. The prophet Isaiah warned us evil would one day be called good, and he taught us how to respond. 
American Family Studios has produced a video series featuring Dr. John Oswald explaining Isaiah's truth in a way we can easily understand and apply. Look for Isaiah, the servant of the Lord, when you visit resources.afa.net. The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relief. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. While in the emergency room with my wife, as she was struggling with the COVID-19 virus herself, and I looked at her, I said, are you scared? And she said, a little bit, but I've been through worse. The Certainty of Mankind's History with Uncertainty, an article by Peter Rosenberger. And then as her fever was approaching almost 103, she started singing in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And that's how she has anchored herself in the certainty of Christ through her huge medical journey that has included 80 surgeries, both of her legs amputated, 100 doctors have treated her, 12 hospitals, and now the COVID-19 virus. And so when we live with those kinds of uncertainties, anchoring ourselves in Christ, in Christ alone, that's the only place we can run to where there is certainty. To read this article and more, visit afa.net forward slash the stand. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Core here on American Family Radio. Well, one interesting point that I learned recently is that all these uh, dignitary motorcades, uh, such as the President of the United States, the Ambassador, Secretary of State, all these uh, heads of state, uh, their motorcades, when they're on, a, on an assignment, uh, when they're out traveling, their motorcades, their big diesel-burning vehicles, some of them gasoline, but nonetheless, they stay running all the time. They, they keep their motorcade engines on on all the vehicles while they are out on a on a mission or on an assignment and just think about all the fossil fuels that are being released into our planet and then you got this doomsday plane that's ran by the that's headed up by the department of state and uh, the department of home uh, department of defense and that plane burns jet fuel 24 7 they leave that thing on 24 7 365 days out of the year with nobody on it it just sits out on a tarmac at some military base in the U.S. in case there's ever nuclear war or anything. And so think about all the fossil fuels that are being emitted uh, by our own government. And meanwhile, you got Al Gore out there grifting and making millions 
off of the so-called climate crisis. You just can't make this stuff up. And they're in Davos, Switzerland now. They all flew their private jets over to Davos, Switzerland, where they are uh, convening all the globalists uh, to talk about how to take over the world and implement the Green New Deal so that you and I can ride our bikes to work and that we can be allotted our daily share of water and our daily share of electricity. You just can't make this stuff up. And for those who think I'm, you know, being a little uh, overboard, I'm exaggerating, um, you know, this this is all about making headlines. I'm, I'm really not making any of that stuff up. It's all legitimate stuff. Well, uh, we brought in with us one of our news anchors, Chris Woodward, who wrote a piece uh, recently about the solar panel situation. So, Chris, thank you for coming on. Yes. And uh, the the Biden administration is pushing hard, which I've never seen in a long – it's been a long time since I've seen government interfere in the private sector to this extent. So, so, so much that they are driving down the stock prices of one industry, the fossil fuel industry, and they're driving up the prices of the, quote, renewable energy or green energy industry, which is not green at all because they have to destroy the planet. Mm. Uh, to get the minerals for the solar panels and the batteries. But I digress. What's going on with the solar panel industry in America? Yeah, well, we'll go back a few years to begin here. When he was vice president, the Obama administration uh, slapped tariffs on solar panel components made in China. A lot of the solar panel ingredients, metals, minerals, what have you, a lot of those things are sourced from China. And in an effort to try to help American businesses or those from allied nations, the Obama administration said we're going to slap tariffs or taxes on these things so that way we'll get them from other parts of the country. Um, And in recent months, a company out west in the uh, western U.S. named Oxen Solar, they asked the Commerce Department to investigate China because Oxen Solar says China found a way around this by setting up companies in East Asia countries that border China And they basically ship the stuff from China to those countries. They make the things there, and then they send them over here, Mm. where American companies with American workers put things together, install them on houses, buildings, businesses, Mm. what have you. Um, And as a result of the Commerce Department saying, okay, we'll investigate this, basically anything from Asia, which again is where a lot of this stuff comes from, any of that... All of it, really, is just not coming to the U.S. So it's been basically put on hold. It's been basically put on hold, and that's a big problem for American companies that are trying to follow what Joe Biden wants us to do now (laughs) and start making more solar panels and installing solar panels. It's to the point where companies, uh, they've canceled orders, they've delayed orders several months. Mm. They don't really know if they're going to have money to make payroll, which means American jobs are at risk here in Joe Biden's green America. You know, Chris, um, there, there's there's a multiple problems here, but the two main problems is that number one, this is all built on a on a falsehood, and and I, and we're gonna have on uh, at some point uh, people who they they're experts in this arena of debunking the climate change narrative, mm-hmm. but uh it's all built on a very faulty information if any information at all and that is that you and I driving down the road emitting uh a carbon monoxide from our vehicle is a, a, is directly attributed to the climate changing back and forth whether hot or cold more hurricanes etc cetera, etc cetera. that science doesn't exist it's very faulty there's not really much there it's more of a political talking point that sounds good uh so that's the first thing but the second thing chris is that the the windmills and the solar panels 
clearly have not met expectations to run, to fuel energy for homes, for industries, for corporations, and for major metropolitan areas, the the technology just isn't there yet. Right. And to give you an idea of really where things are today with, let's say, solar panels or windmills compared to fossil fuel utilities, um, in, in the last year or so, 2021, the federal government says the majority of our electricity came from natural gas. Coal was number mm. two. Nuclear provided about 20% of the nation's electricity. And here's where it gets interesting. Supposedly, 20% of the electricity came from so-called renewables. But when you break all that down, and I'm mm. showing you this list here, really yeah. long list. When you break all that down, most of those so-called renewables are wind and solar. And that's after the federal government sent all of our tax dollars to try to incentivize utilities to start doing these things. Wind, ladies and gentlemen, provided 9.2% of the nation's electricity last year. <laughs> That's after all those windmills out along I-40 in Texas, froze New Mexico, Arizona, those places. Yeah, yeah. That's 9.2% of uh, the nation's electricity came from wind. Solar provided a whopping 2.8% of the nation's electricity, which makes this issue with the solar panel components that much more interesting. If we're going to literally stop or pause all the stuff coming over here from Asia that jacks up the price for wherever we can find these kinds of things, if we can find them. Hmm. So if we're going to try to replace natural gas and coal with solar panels and windmills, it's going to be that much more expensive. And what is the federal government spending on that? It's our money yeah. to try to push their plan. You know, Chris, this is, I don't know. What this is, there, there's two factors here. If we want to talk motivation, so we're gonna we're gonna try to dip into the hearts and the minds of the people in charge here. But if I could try to guess, like what what is driving these individuals and the policymakers? Because clearly, from a very practical standpoint, when you look at wind, solar, v, um, a natural gas, oil, and coal, and then you got hydroelectric plants as well, which is probably one of the best forms other than nuclear, um, as far as efficiency. Mm -hmm. The wind and solar have clearly not met, uh, they're not up to par to be able to meet the demand and a growing economy in America. Right. There's absolutely no way because people don't understand. They think solar panels and windmills like you put a little wind turbine in your backyard and it's going to run the whole house and your three air conditioner units and it's it's a complete joke mm -hmm. but how just imagine or talk about how much land is needed for wind turbine farms and then how much uh, ground level is needed for all the solar panels to if we were going to run the country on wind and solar how many thousands of acres will be needed to station all of this equipment. Right. And, you know, it's obvious uh, it's not going to be in Nancy Pelosi's neighborhood, okay? It's not going to be in a, a Republican's neighborhood. It's going to be kind of out in the middle of nowhere or where middle America, blue-collar America lives. Mm -hmm. This is good for you. You need it. But we're going to keep it out of my homeowners association because it's ugly. And yeah. by the way, wind turbines kill birds, so they're not environmentally friendly. Um, and you have to manufacture this stuff somewhere, which means those factories that are making these things that people say are environmentally friendly, there's mm -hmm. a massive carbon footprint there. If you're shipping all this stuff over here from Asia, it's coming over here on a cargo ship, uh, dirty diesel fuel, if you want to look at it that way, travels yeah. a great distance. 
and then it's manufactured here, it's installed, that stuff's got to be put on trucks. It's funny, I mentioned I-40. I was along that highway last summer going out west, and there were giant diesel trucks hauling one wind turbine blade each going down I-40. <laughs> they can only carry one? Yeah, they can only carry one. Wow. And then they have to you know, take it somewhere and put but, it all but together. But come on, Chris, they're going to offset their emissions by setting up the wind turbine, and then they're going to need all this land. And then you got to have access roads mm-hmm. uh, that are serving no purpose other than to access the windmill uh, to service it when a, when it gets frozen up in a deep winter in Minnesota. So I got this story, Chris, out of uh, Michigan, and this says from Fox, electrical grid operators are warning Michigan residents that blackouts could be needed during the hot summer months with a hurried changeover to renewable energy sources at the forefront of the issue. Mm-hmm. So, so these power-producing companies are trying to rush to solar and wind, even though the technology is not proven yet, um, and, and it's going to leave Americans with their electricity off in certain parts of the country this summer. Yeah, Californians already kind of have an idea what this is like, uh, and that's not necessarily because of um, green initiatives, uh, but because they just don't have the grid to provide for their economy that they try to have there in California. Uh you mentioned, you know, as these states and utilities try to move in the solar-friendly, environmentally-friendly direction, a lot of these things are going to be, um, you know, it's going to be bad. Yeah. And uh, it gets hot in Michigan. It gets mm-hmm. hot in New Hampshire, where this is also supposedly a problem. Really gets hot in California. Yeah. Uh, I was out there last year, 115 degrees as I was rolling mm-hmm. into Stockton, California, which is in Northern California, not in Southern California. It's a major problem. It's going to be a health problem, particularly in areas where you got a lot of nursing homes and hospitals. How in the world are you going to provide for those people um, is a big question mark. And it brings us back to what Biden said um, yesterday on mm. his trip out in Asia when somebody asked him about the high gas prices that we continue to experience can I, here. Can I play that clip for oh, you, Oh, sure. Chris? I actually happen to have it. This is the Biden transition uh, clip. Let's listen, Bobby. When it comes to the gas prices... Uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that, God willing, when it's over, we'll be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over. He cares. He really cares, America. You know what that is? That's a politician who pushes things with other people's money. Yes. He won't be impacted absolutely. by this. And then probably he's got stock in, uh, in the battery company. Sure. Hey, uh, the last thing I want to mention, Chris, is that uh, this this whole situation is he talks about a transition and that okay so so here's the question I have for you and this is kind of a tongue in cheek question okay. but if you had to choose would you rather want to be reliant on Chinese made solar panels and lithium ion batteries for your existence <laughs> or would you rather rely on oil uh, companies, local oil companies in Pennsylvania, American blue-collar jobs for your life and to heat your home in the winter. Yeah, I would rather exist on uh, American resources. And by the way, a lot of those oil and gas jobs, people don't realize this, those are, quote, good-paying union jobs, yes. which what Joe Biden himself has pushed. He wants more good-paying union jobs, and I'm using air quotes, uh, for uh, just like the Keytone XL. Oh, sure. There's thousands of jobs. And a lot of those people are still mad at Joe Biden.
Whether or not that's an issue for them in this midterm election with Democrats, we'll see. Yeah, well, you know, this is one thing. It's one thing to, uh, well, the government shouldn't be promoting an entire uh, energy and then investing in their stock so that they can all get rich off of it. That's that's cronyism at its finest. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't promote something which is not available to the average consumer, such as the the um, the transportation secretary, no, not the, the the energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm. Yeah, telling us that well, you know, if you just don't like the gas price, just go buy a Tesla, just go buy an EV. They yeah. say, uh, but you go to buy an EV like if you've got the money, and they're like, yeah, we'll put your name on the list for twenty twenty seven. So they get, oh, that's an exaggeration, right. but they tell you like it'll be twenty four months before you mm-hmm. get your electric vehicle, um, and that you people were waiting twelve months before the supply chain issues. Uh, because we got the batteries coming out of China, Chris. Right. And uh, this is the same cabinet member who gets a free ride to work every day at our expense. Yeah. In an SUV, which puts out a lot more emissions than your car. Yep. And probably flies jets, uh, government-run oh, sure. jets around the country emitting uh, fossil fuels. Well, Chris, thank you for coming on thank the you. show and enlightening us to the solar panel supply chain issues brought on by who? Our very own government. Yep, they're investigating. And meanwhile, while we investigate, we're going to shut down the entire import process of foreign-made solar panels, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, folks, you know, it's one thing to promote something, but when what you're promoting is not even available, then what are we doing here? What are we doing here? We're promoting solar panels and windmills and lithium-ion batteries, but when the consumer goes to buy what you're telling them to buy... They're told they just can't get it. Sorry, you just can't get it. Well, folks, fossil fuels have run this country for decades upon decades. Fossil fuels, coal, oil, natural gas, they are one of the main drivers of economic flourishing in this country. And so we must maintain and expand our fossil fuel growth, our fossil fuel emissions in this country, uh, because it's good for the planet. Our planet needs carbon emissions to to, uh, feed the plants, and we need it to run our lives. AFA at the core. We'll be back next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.